Hello everybody, welcome to episode 10 of Tesla Side Chats. It is your host Ted, and today I'm going to start off with the topic that everybody's been talking about, the Porsche Taycan. Yes, the Taycan. First off, I want I'm going to start with the premise that I'm actually a huge fan of Porsche as well as Tesla. I like one of the cars that I actually aspired to own in the past was a 911 GT3 RS. I think it's fantastic. And I do applaud the Volkswagen group for actually starting to develop and take the electric car program seriously. The Porsche Taycan is going to be good because it creates that halo effect for electric vehicles and shows the petrol heads like what's actually possible with an electric car because Tesla has always been this kind of like black sheep in the automotive world um so the porsche Taycan, overall i think it's great um with that said there's been a lot of noise about the nurburgring and the record timing and all that kind of stuff uh but let's face the facts here the electric vehicles industry as of right now is really fighting all of the internal combustion cars um, and there's just not enough electric vehicles on the road and I think the Porsche is going to be great uh, a rising tide lifts all boats I always say that but what kind of surprised me about the Porsche Taycan was that it starts at $150,000 and then the Turbo S starts at one hundred eighty-five. dollars and of course uh, in typical Porsche fashion you have the option to build your own or buy what the dealer takes in terms of inventory and uh, it's it's Porsche is not a stranger to adding a huge amount of margin and markup based on the options list. Now, going into the technical facts of things, the Porsche is based on a 90 kilowatt hour battery. I think the thing that is basically basically indisputable right now is Tesla has a huge lead in the um, battery density and the energy sides of things, which really which is really what matters now a lot of people as i discussed in my last episode when they think about an electric vehicle we were in i would call it phase one of that adoption and learning phase where people only honed in on one thing and it answers the question what happens when i run out of charge and how far can i go so that that topic is range what is the range what is the range of the car um and the porsche Taycan, honestly like in terms of EPA ratings, it really doesn't have that great of range, but to the same measure, um, it's still a Porsche. It's still going to do well, and I'm pretty sure the Volkswagen Group understood this because they focused on what makes Porsche a Porsche, and that's that DNA of racetrack driving and track driving, and they talked about the repeatability of of launches and they think that's really what matters to their customer base that's also who they are as a brand and that's their heritage um so they focused on that more so than range and they're probably hoping that the dealer network will um, educate customers that the average american drives about 50 to 60 miles a day 200 plus miles 220 miles is plenty so where porsche is with the Taycan, i really think this is where Tesla was in 2012 with the original Model S. The P85 was rated for about 257 miles of range on the new EPA cycle. The 85 at the time was rated for 265. And 
at the time in 2012, that's what people ask, range, long distance road trips, etc. And they relied on that Tesla sales staff and also, um, of course, Elon Musk tweets and blog posts to educate customers. Now, I think Porsche is going to have a very interesting time depending on the dealers uh, because uh, it's going to be because it's franchise dealerships you're dealing with a conflict of interest of what to sell and of course you want to clear what's on your lot so a lot of times uh you're going to walk into a dealer want to know how to haggle and it's overall that's part of the the buying experience i think the tycon's going to the sales results are going to be interesting there after they they exhaust their pre-order list of 20,000 plus cars at the end of the day as a porsche as a person who admires porsche if you put a Turbo S Taycan in front of me versus a GT3 RS or a GT2 or 911 Turbo S even, I'm going to go for those cars instead because, um, yeah, like I ju I'm just going to do that. <laughs> so in terms of the electric vehicle, again, I applaud them, but that's really not their specialty. In terms of the electric vehicle, Tesla is where it's at. Um, designed from the ground up as an electric vehicle has the most range has a supercharging network this is where all of the quote-unquote tesla motes will come into play you are not buying a tesla car for itself you're buying the tesla for the overall ecosystem and the experience now the one thing that a lot of people knock on tesla on is okay the launch repeatability or the nurburgring record that that the plaid platform is um, being tested on the Nurburgring right now, people are still dumping on it because they're saying, oh, the car's not in production. Oh, it's a prototype model. Uh, it still looks the same. The interior is ugly, blah, 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 blah. You missed the point. You entirely missed the point. The vast majority of these internet haters, as well as the people buying these cars, I'm going to go as far as say 90 to 95% of them are not taking these cars on the track. The, the Taycan was built with the Nurburgring and track in mind, we have to appreciate the fact that the Tesla team kind of just treated it like a, oh, you know what? That's kind of cool. Let me, it was an afterthought. Let me try and do this too. Um, so you took a car that basically was not made for that purpose, was made for production and family and everyday life purpose, and you're conquering the track. Let's think about that for a second. Um, in addition to that, one of the main things that people criticize Tesla on, especially Tesla fanboys, is, you know, quality control. Tesla doesn't test too much or they release things out and they kind of use this um, uh, project management mentality of just kind of like uh, just, you know, doing hurdles. Just try it, fix it, break it, fix it, and then try it again. Um, they... they did things a little bit differently and i think i discussed this in a previous episode they're testing out the plaid platform uh in a way that paves the way for a more reliable model sx and more importantly roadster uh they're doing the exhaustive tests they're putting the motors through its paces and more importantly they're developing the software to essentially handle different scenarios and this is where the secret sauce of Tesla is. This is what you are buying. Going back to the point of the Porsche, you're buying it for interior materials. You're buying it for the look and the design. I'm going to be completely honest here. I'm almost 100% positive, though I have not sat in a Taycan yet. When you deal with that user interface that they have and that dual screen setup, 
almost 100% guaranteed it's going to suck compared to what Tesla has right now. I mean, looking at V10 and the early access program release notes, you're looking at things like Netflix in the car that was done over a software update, YouTube in the car that was done over a software update. UX design, UI design, like has to be appreciated more and this is what Tesla is about. The adaptability, the way to improve, and also the marriage of the hardware and the software. Recently, there was an update to the suspension, the, the adaptive air suspension in the new uh, Raven model SNX. That's crazy. Like, it's just going to get so much better. And looking at Tesla's blog post about the Nürburgring, they, they show you the data of the energy discharge at certain points of the track, and they said it's going to get better. Again, this was an afterthought for them, and the magic is in the software. Um, so overall, to recap my thoughts on the Taycan, going to do really well. Uh, haters are still going to hate Tesla, but to the same measure, it's fine because that's not what Tesla is about. Going on to the second topic, for those who are Tesla employees or related to Tesla listening to this podcast, happy end of quarter. Best of luck this week. Please deliver as many cars as possible to prove people wrong. But this week is going to be critical. Um, in Q1 of this year, Tesla shares, like for, for those who are involved, got beat. Got really, really beat down because of the overall uh, things like top line revenue, kind of not meeting expectations. They looked at the net income. They had to pay off the loan. Um, they also didn't have too much cash on hand. In addition to that, there were a lot of CapEx projects that were um, on the horizon. In this specific case, it was Gigafactory 3 in China. Uh, For those of you who are new to the podcast, let me just give you a brief primer on the Gigafactories that Tesla has. Uh, Gigafactory 1, of course, is in Nevada, and that makes the batteries and the powertrains um, that supply the Fremont plant. Gigafactory 2 is in Buffalo that a lot of people forget, but it's going to become increasingly more important, especially with the new Tesla solar program that just went live right now. And then, of course, Gigafactory 3, which is in the free free trade zone in Shanghai, China. Um, And that started off in February as a patch of dirt. And now it is churning out prototype Model 3s. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. And that was the big project that everybody on Wall Street was worried about. So looking at Q1 2019, the revenue is $4.5 billion. And then you're looking at the cash on hand being $2.2 billion. And the operating, they had operating loss of $478 million. Looking at Q2, revenue is $6.35 billion. But then they still had operating loss of $50 million and change. But more importantly... They had free cash flow and they were sitting on $4.95 billion. And this is halfway in the year. So that Shanghai project already spent the vast majority of its money on the building already and shipping the machinery and all that kind of stuff. In Q3, what's going to be really, really interesting is to see what the cash position is going to be. Uh, In addition to that, I want to look at the operating income and the trend that it's going and as well as the the revenue because in Q1, what's kind of expected in the car industry, February, January, they're typically your slowest months in the auto industry. 
uh, and then in Q2 it gets a little bit better uh, Q3 it also gets pretty good too if you think about the timing of things like existing auto leases when dealers do their specials the overall trend of people buying vehicles in general you want to get all of like the car buying and the family stuff and the prep for the fall out of the way in the summer um, of course with the exception of vacations and whatnot so overall the human trends show that q2 q3 and then a little bit of q4 is really the strongest time for the seasons because that is when um dealers have the most specials to be honest they want to wind down inventory that is when uh mid-cycle refreshes or redesigns are uh come to fruition for traditional auto manufacturers and of course this is going to matter for tesla too because for example like myself if i'm sitting on a car lease and i'm waiting for it to end i'm obviously gonna put off my purchase to buy a tesla and i probably got into that lease or purchase around the time that the dealer had the most enticing deal so i think that their revenue is going to be quite good um in quarter three it's something to keep in mind especially in q2 they're winding down um a lot of the pre-raven inventory vehicles so i'm sure there were definitely price adjustments on those uh in addition to that they took a hit to profit as well as revenue but in the pipe of all the cars that were going out overseas as well as the new custom-built orders, I think it's going to be a huge injection in revenue as well as profit. Now, the other thing to keep in mind as well is the Model 3 is selling like gangbusters overseas. Um, they can't get enough of it in, in, in China and I think as well as Korea. And, and the vast majority of the reason why is because of the way that the governments of the world are trending uh, in terms of their treatment and severity uh the reaction to the severity of climate change action a lot of countries are starting to ban petrol uh internal combustion engine cars and and the market's starting to catch on the three to five years of keeping a car or even 10 years of keeping a car the equation is changing now and it's shifting towards electric vehicles and when they look at a car that can be comparable to a gas car there's not that many electric vehicle manufacturers and Tesla is really the one that you think of as a serious one. Yes, there are smaller EVs, but to the same to the same measure it's you know what Tesla built its brand on building purely electric vehicles and I think people understand that. In addition to that, the generational shift, you you have people who are in the baby boomers who are not necessarily looking at a Tesla but their kids are and their grandkids are and i say grandkids because kids love tesla they don't even know how to drive but they still want a tesla and even looking at the youtube like youtube youtubers and all the famous people they they have teslas so that's kind of the way it's going to go and i think that's this is going to really really help in ter in terms of the um uh, revenue because it's it's a halo effect it starts in the u.s and then it goes all over the world and quite frankly going back to the very first episode of this podcast that i created um tesla does not have demand issues it just doesn't while you may see that there's inventory in the united states for certain models there may be inventory models somewhere else there's always going to be inventory but relative to other auto manufacturers like it's next to none 
and going to address the point of the whole need for a redesign and the plaid platform and all that the cars that were being tested were basically wide body model s's um, it had fender flares and a spoiler adjustment as well as a front fascia a lot of people are claiming that you need to have some kind of redesign or refresh going back to it when i did the rumor mill episode tesla's gonna do it when it sees fit like we need to step outside of our echo chamber and tesla bubble a lot of people have not even seen this car yet meaning a model s even a 2012 one with the classic fascia or even a model 3 um i know it's quite a long time to drag out an exterior and interior design but to the same measure it hasn't had the market penetration where it requires a giant refresh yet in my opinion because there simply are not as many model s's and x's on the road compared to other auto vehicle manufacturers and let's remove the u.s for a second in in the world that's even more so the case so if the demand can be fulfilled around the world excluding the vast majority of the u.s there's really not too much of a need to change um until the market dictates so so i'm going to end my podcast with those thoughts so let's see how tesla does in q3 and thank you for listening